series on the top questions that people have about Jesus, about faith, Christianity, God, the Bible, all those types of things. And, and as we've been looking at all of those, some of those are kind of big issues for people, but some people have no problem with belief in God. Some people have no qualms at all at believing there's a God, about, about faith, about trusting that, that he's there, that he's involved. I mean, some people have no issue with a belief in God at all. I think, in fact, most people that, that I talk to believe, and this is within the church or outside of the church, believe that there is a God, that he's a good God, and believe that he wants us to live good lives, and, and that's kind of it. I mean, that's really the, the central thrust of life. That, that's really kind of the whole way we relate to God and life. And if you, I mean, even in those videos, I mean, the, the convergence of all the different world religions, that the, the central belief that people have is there's a good God. He wants me to be a good person. And I might not know, I mean, if you're, if you're a Christian or not a Christian, you might not know all the particulars about all the, about all the different minutia. You might um, have kind of grown up and heard about all these different religions. But if you just boil it down, really, it's there's a good God. And if I do a good job at being a good person, then kind of at the end of my life, I get to go to a good place. That's, that's really kind of the, the boil it all down piece is there's a good God. And isn't the whole point? Be a good person, isn't it? Compassion, isn't it? The golden rule. So maybe there's not necessarily a problem with God, but there can be a problem with the church. There can be a problem with organized religion because I don't need those things to be a good person. I don't need even God really to be a good person. So isn't the point of life, and if there is this good God, isn't the point just to live a good life and be a good person? And if I do, God accepts me. I reach, as she said, nirvana, or I reach God, I reach heaven. Isn't that the point? Isn't the point just be a good person? So that's our question for tonight. Is, is that really the point? Is, is the point of life be a good person? And so this is, this is where we begin our time. But to answer that question, to explore that question, is the point to be a good person? To answer that, we have to first just ask this, are we good? I mean, if the point of life, and if this is what people on Oprah or scientists from Berkeley all agree on, is the point of life really is be a good person. I mean, we have to just ask the question, are we good? I mean, if, if our acceptance with God, if our access to heaven or to nirvana or whatever it might be, is our goodness, we have to ask that. Are we good? Are we good? And to, ask, to answer this, we have to ask the question, how good is good? I mean, the question is, are we good? How good is good? I mean, have, have you ever thought about that? I mean, if you kind of look at your life and you believe, man, the way for God to be happy with me or the way to get to heaven is to be good, have you ever asked the question, how good is good? Is it, I mean, is it 51%? So like if 50% of your life is bad, or, or rather, 49% of your life is bad. If 51 is good, then okay, you made it. I mean, is, is, that, is, is that what it is? Is it 51 or is that too easy? Does it need to kind of be further across? You need to go more into the C-plus range and get a 75. I mean, is it, or is God grading? I mean, how, how does it work? I mean, how good is good? Is it 51%, 75%? And is it a curve? Or is it? I mean, and what if, what if you only decide, I mean, what if you only decide later in life to start being good and you actually run out of time? So you've lived 30 years of your life 
bad, and then years 31 and 32, you're starting to do good, but then you get hit by a truck. So there was no time to make up the difference. Or what's the standard of good? Because a lot of people agree on the standard of good, but there's also a lot of differences. There's a lot of different types of things that some people would say this is good, and some people would say this is good. Some people say this is good for society, and some people say this is good for society. Some people say this is good for individuals, and some people say this is good for individuals. So is there a standard? I mean, how are we good? We have to ask how good is good. And so maybe, again, boils down to the golden rule. Right? And maybe we don't know necessarily what the standard is. Maybe we don't know how good. So maybe, again, it just comes back to, look, just be kind to other people. Be compassionate to other people. Treat other people the way that you want to be treated. I mean, that's kind of the core ethical teaching of all the major religions, really, is the golden rule. I mean, she, the, the, the gal Karen Armstrong in the video said, said that, and she's right. I mean, from Confucius to Christ, I mean, really, it's, that is one of the major core ethical teachings of the world. Religions is, and even if you're not religious, I mean, I think probably most atheists would say, yeah, that's, that's my core uh, morality is treat other people the way you want to be treated. And that, that's a good kind of guide. But how good are we doing at the golden rule? I mean, if, you, if, if that's how good we have to be is the golden rule, I mean, how, if, we're, if we're just honest, how, how much do our lives match up to treating other people the way we want to be treated? And sometimes it's probably pretty good, right? But is it always good? And how good does it have to be? Does it have to be 50%? Does it have to be 50%? I mean, we're kind of back... And is, is it a curve? I mean, is the golden rule based on the person next to you? Like, how good you're matching up to them? I mean, because there's kind of like Hitler over here, and then there's probably the person sitting next to you right here, and then there's Mother Teresa and Martin Luther King Jr. over here. So, I mean, if it's a curve, these guys kind of mess it up for us. So where, I mean, how good at the golden rule do you have to be? I mean, how, I mean, so here's, here's the point. The question is, is the point just be a good person? And if it is, are we good? And to answer the question, are we good, we have to ask, how good is good to have access to God? How good is good to get to heaven? How good is good to be a good person? And I think we have to at least say we're unsure if we qualify. I'm not saying you don't, I'm not, but I'm saying we have to at least say we're unsure. I mean, we have to at least say, I don't quite know. And a lot of people don't necessarily think about that. They think about, yeah, be a good person, but how good? And what standard? And on a, I mean, we have to at least say, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little unsure. But I, but I think it actually is worse than that. I think it actually goes deeper than that because I think we're not just unsure. I think if we're honest with ourselves, which can be difficult to do, but I think if we're honest with ourselves, we would also say, you know what? Humans have a tendency to really mess things up. So, I mean, though we can say, yeah, the point isn't the point, just be a good person. I mean, don't we, I mean, don't we just know that we have a tendency to mess things up? I mean, we even have a truism that people just say nobody's perfect. And we kind of use that as an excuse to get out of things. But, I mean, that also just shows inherently we all know, man, don't humans just have this propensity to mess stuff up? I mean, that can be big things like your marriage, it can be like your career, like your friendships, but it can be just little everyday acts of selfishness and greed and not doing unto others as you want them to do to you and, and uh, gossiping. And I mean, don't, don't humans have a propensity to mess things up? 
I mean, the humans I know do. If you, if you disagree with me, I would love to meet your humans. But the humans I know, I mean, we have a, we have a propensity to mess things up. We have a propensity to, to mess things up, both big and small. Sometimes we don't realize it as it's happening, but we look back at our lives and we see, man, how did I get to where I'm at? And it's an accumulation of all the little choices that we, that we have made. So I think we start with, man, maybe we're unsure are we good enough. But if we even dig deeper, I think we see, man, we actually have a propensity to mess things up. And here's what I'm saying. I'm not even saying that that's by God's standards. I'm just saying by our own standards. I mean, if you just look at your life and just say, okay, let's imagine there's not a God. Maybe that's easier for some of you than others. Let's imagine there's not a God. Let's imagine there's no Bible because if there was a God, if, if, you know, if, if there is a God, he would probably add things to the list of things he wants us to do. But if there's no God, let's just say being a good person is all our standards. How are we doing just by our own standards? Just by your own standards of what it means to be good. Forget God, just your own standards of what it means to be good. How are you doing? I mean, and this, the internet... The, you know, it's the place filled with all sorts of great things is, is filled with like, I, j- I just put in here, how do I become a good person? And it's filled. You see this all the time posted on Facebook. You might not be able to read these, but it's filled with lists that are separate from anything to do with God about what it means to be a good person. Probably the kind of list that you would come up with 15 ways to be a better person, how to become a better person in 14 steps. Uh, nine ways to be a better person, eight steps to becoming a better person, 31 ways to be a better person every day, 10 ways to evolve and be a better person, 83 ways <laughs> to become a better person. I mean, add all that up, that's definitely more than the 10 commandments. Um, and I mean, it's just, it's filled with lists like this. And if you were to sit down and write out your own 10 commandments or your own 83 ways or 10 ways or nine ways to be a better person, I mean, there's so many things that we could come up with. But my question is, are we good in, even by our own standards? I mean, if, if we were to do an experiment and we said, write out just by your own standards what it means to be a good person. And then somehow you had somebody doing a documentary following you around and they videoed all the times that you messed up just on your own standards and your thoughts and your words and your actions and your feelings. And they filmed all that. I mean, that'd probably make a pretty entertaining video, I'd imagine, right? I mean, even just by our own standards, I think we would have to say, man, yeah, I don't even measure up to my own standards. And again, we say, well, nobody's perfect, and that's my point. I think if we dig deeper, if, our, if, if the question is, can I just be a good person? Isn't being a good person just the point? Are, are we good? Are we good? How good is good? Is it our own standards? Because even our own standards we don't actually measure up to. So how good do we have to be? And the Bible actually says the problem is even deeper than that. The Bible says it's actually deeper than just our own problems. The Bible says the problem is sin. And here's what the Bible says about sin. It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is Paul writing to a church in Rome saying this. And a lot of people don't like the concept of sin. They're very offended by the concept of sin. But there's a lot of misunderstanding about what sin actually is. So what is sin? And here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we were made as human beings to enjoy God. 
We were made as human beings to find God at the center of our lives, for him to be our truest love, for our life to revolve around him, for us to find our worth and our value and our identity in him. That's what the Bible teaches, that God is the one person in our life and he's supposed to have all of our affection and all of our uh, priorities and that life is supposed to be defined and identified by him as our creator, as our king, as our God. That's, that's, what, that's what we were made for. That's when we find life as it's actually meant to be lived. And so many people think of sin as just breaking the rules. And though that's a part of it, sin fundamentally starts in the heart when something else takes the place where God should be. When instead of God being the one that our hearts have a grasp on, when instead of God being the one that is highest priority, that we're defined by, that we get a sense of value and worth and identity from, instead of God, it's something else. That, that's what the Bible, I mean, that, that's what this verse means. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, which means that God is glorious and our lives should see him is in that position, but instead so many other things are in that position. So yeah, sin is breaking rules, but it's because fundamentally something starts in the heart first. That something else to us is glorious. That something else becomes glorious to us. And the Bible says that this is a problem that every single person has. That something else holds our hearts, love, satisfaction, value, meaning. And the problem with this is that it's really unstable. I mean, if anything else is in that position of glory instead of God, it becomes really unstable because you can't always hang on to that. And it, and it harms us. There's an author and pastor named Tim Keller in New York City who, who has this list of things that, that can happen when something else is in that position. And I'm just going to kind of run through a few of these to show you. And he says this, if you center your life, this is what sin is. This is how the Bible talks about sin. If you center your life and your identity on your spouse or your partner, you will be emotionally dependent, jealous, and controlling. The other person's problems will be overwhelming to you. See, if you put your spouse or your partner or boyfriend or girlfriend at the center of your life, and that becomes what's most glorious, and that becomes what's most ultimate, ultimate then what happens is jealousy and dependence. I mean, this is, psychologists will tell you codependency is a huge problem. Emotionally controlling The other person's problems become overwhelming to you because they need to be perfect for you. They need to essentially be God for you. If you center your life and identity on your family and children, you'll try to live your life through your children until they resent you or have no self of their own. At worst, you may abuse them when they displease you. doesn't mean that has to happen. It's just saying that's that's the worst end is if your, your identity is centered on your children. I mean, some of you probably had parents like this. If you center your life and identity on your work and career, you will be a driven workaholic and a boring, shallow person. (laughs) That's sad. At worst, you will lose family and friends, and if your career goes poorly, develop deep depression. Some of you have probably felt that. If you center your life and identity on a noble cause, so even good things, you will divide the world into good and bad and demonize your opponents. Ironically, you will be controlled by your enemies. Without them, you have no purpose because you're always fighting against these people that have the wrong way and the wrong thing. If you center your life and identity on money and possessions, you'll be eaten up by worry or jealousy about money. You'll be willing to do unethical things to maintain your lifestyle, which will eventually blow up your life. We see this obviously in the news with famous people like Bernie Madoff, but it also happens in small ways with people. 
That if money and possessions is what our life is centered around, that if we start to lose those, there's anxiety. If we're unsure if we can maintain them, there's jealousy. If you center your life and identity on pleasure, gratification, comfort, you'll find yourself getting addicted to something. You'll become chained to the escape strategies by which you avoid the hardness of life. Netflix, Redbox, Facebook. You center your life on pleasure and just comfort. Then what happens is you're just stuck in escape. If you center your life and identity on relationships and approval, so people liking you and people accepting you and people respecting you, you'll be constantly over-hurt by criticism and thus always losing friends. You'll fear confronting others and therefore will be a useless friend. So you, you want friends so badly, you want them to like you so badly that eventually they actually leave you or you're actually not a very good friend. Are we good? I think we have to at least say we're unsure. And then if we dig deeper, we see that we even miss our own standards. And then if we look at what the Bible says, that this is sin, building an identity on something other than God, building our sense of value and worth and meaning and purpose on something instead of God, that these can be good things, but if they keep us from God, then they become bad things. Friends are good things and money is a good thing and Being a part of a noble cause is a good thing, but when those things take our hearts away from God, they become bad things. become bad things. And I think most people would say, yeah, I do. I mean, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, most people would admit, yeah, my heart falls into those things. Maybe I don't break a list of rules. Maybe I'm not a a sinner in the sense of murdering someone and stealing things, but most people would say, yeah, I, I build my life on things other than God. I love things other than God. I get my sense of identity and know that I'm a good person or a worthy person on things other than God. Most people, I mean, admit that. It harms our social relationships as well. Because what happens is if those things are the things that become really, really important to us, then if other people don't share those, we have to feel superior to them. I mean, if I believe that, that family, that, that's what my life revolves around, then other people I see that raise their kids poorly... I've got to judge them. I've got to feel superior to them because I'm building my whole identity on this or whatever it might be, politics or success. This is why, this is why many people feel judgmental. This is why many people um, isolate themselves from those that are not like them. And here, here's the thing also. Maybe everything in your life is working great. I mean, maybe everything is going well. So he says, you know, if if these things happen, then this happens and gives a negative outcome. But maybe everything is going well. Maybe you're building your life on approval of other people or money or your career. And it's all taken off and it's exploding beautifully. Like fireworks, you know, something that explodes good. There's bad explosions, good explosions. It's exploding beautifully, okay? It's a good explosion and you feel good about it. But here's what the Bible would say is you may feel full and you may have joy and you may have meaning. But if there's a God that made you and he made you to find your fulfillment and your satisfaction and your rest and your identity in him, even if you feel full right now, you are living below the fullness of joy and satisfaction that you could have. You'll never be able to fully experience life the way God intends if Something else is in the center of your life because he made you to find that in him. 
So you might not be feeling the effects of the pain, although live long enough and you will. But you're also missing out. So are we good? How good is good enough? So, so what do we do? Because some people, some people feel this. Some people feel that. Some people feel, yeah, you know what? I, I agree. I don't live up to my standards. I do feel like I'm not good enough. So what do I do? What, what can I do about this situation? And, and usually people kind of say, okay, if I haven't been building my life on God, if maybe I'm not a good person, maybe I'm, I'm not good enough, then what do I need to do? I need to try harder. I need to be better. I need to, to double, I need to get serious about this. I need to be a good person. I need to figure out what, maybe if it's God, then I need to figure out what God's will is, and I need to follow his will and do even better at following his will, double down my efforts, and I can do it. I will be a good person. But the problem with that is this. The problem with that is it's essentially still the same thing. It's essentially still a self-centered way of looking at life, a, a way to control our own lives. Here's, here's what I mean. The roots, look, there's two ways to control your life. There's two ways to be the master of your own life. One of those is to say, I'm going to break all the rules and do whatever I want. I'm king. Man, I don't care about a list of rules. I don't care about what God says. I can can break them all and do my own thing because I'm my own king. And maybe there is no God, or even if there is, it doesn't really matter. I live life the way I want to live life. Yes, I want to build my identity around my career. I want to build my identity around my family. I want to build my identity around success and achievement. And I'm going to do it. That's one way to say I'm the master of my life. But another way to say the master, that you are the master of your life, that you are in control of your life, another way to do that is to say this. I'm going to be a really good person. I'm going to follow all the rules. I'm going to open the Bible. And I'm going to do everything that God tells me to do. I'm going to do everything God says to do. And then what? Then God will accept me. Then God, will be, then God and me will be in good relationship. Then I'll get to heaven. Then God will have to bless me. I mean, he, I'm, we're, we're, I'm in his good graces. I'm, I'm living up to my end of the bargain. Then he needs to live up to his end of the bargain. See, that's one way to still control your life. You're still saying, I'm the one in control of this life. I I get control by being good, or I can get control just by self-fulfillment and doing whatever I want. But both of them are still putting ourselves as the one in control of our life. And this same thing, just like like building your life on something other than God creates harm for ourselves, creates harm in our relationships, this does the same thing. Because if you've lived like this, if you've lived where you said, I'm going to be a good person, and I'm going to do good things, and then God will be happy with me, or I'll be good and get to heaven, or I'll be good and God will be pleased with me. If you've lived your life like that, you know what happens? Some of you do, because that's how we've lived. You feel guilty. You feel kind of always an undercurrent of, I don't know if I'm cutting it. Because you could always be doing more. I mean, anyone in here think they pray enough? Anyone in here think I totally read my Bible enough? I totally love God as much as anyone in the world. No, there's, we could always be doing more, right? There's always more we could do. And if, and if our goodness and if our following God's will is what gives us a sense of okayness, if that's how we know our life is okay, we're always going to be a little insecure. We're always going to be a little unsure. Have I measured up? Have I done enough? Did I, did I give enough, serve enough? 
Have I been kind enough? Have I loved my neighbor enough? We'll always be unsure. And it harms our relationships. Because if we get our sense of value and we get our sense of worth from our right beliefs and our right behaviors, then those that do not have the right behaviors and those that do not have the right beliefs, you look down on them. You feel superior to them. I mean, if the, the deeper that we find our value in being a good person, the more people that fail that, we, we don't even really want to be around them. And this is why a lot of people don't like Christians. This is why a lot of people don't like the church. It's why a lot of people don't like Christianity because there are a bunch of people that think they're better than me. There are a bunch of people that's whole belief system tells them they are good and you are bad. That doesn't sound like fun. <laughs> I mean, not to me. This is why many people have rejected Christianity. So, here, so here's where we are. Question is, isn't the point just be a good person? Isn't the point just be a good person? But I think we start with, we have to be unsure. Am I good enough? Then from there we move to, if I even look at my own standards, I don't quite measure up. And if we look at God's standards of building our life on something different than him, most all of us, Christian or not, would say, yeah, I build my life on other things than God. Other things hold the, the place in my heart. I love other things. Most of us would say that. So then what do we do about it? Is there a way to solve it? Yeah, I'll just be better. I'll be good. I'll, but even our goodness turns into badness because it's still just another way to control our life. So what do we do? Is there any hope? Where, where, I mean, where do we go from here? And this is where Jesus comes in. What does Jesus say about all this? What's different about Christianity than everything I've just described? Because some people, that's their experience of Christianity, and that's not what Jesus said. So what does Jesus say? What, what's different than that? And, and to do that, let's look at this story. This is a story that Jesus tells. And here, this is from Luke 18, and, and I'll read this, and we'll see what, what it says about how Jesus is different, how his words are different. He also told this parable, so he's telling a story. A parable is just a story that has a point to it. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Self-righteous people think they're better than other people. Two men went up into the temple to pray, so they go to church to pray. One, a Pharisee. A Pharisee would have been the religious leaders. They would have been the people that followed all the rules, that did the best, that had giant portions of, of the Bible memorized, that followed all the rules, that did all the right things. They were known as those guys. Whew, man. So two men went up into the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. Now, nobody likes taxes today, right? I mean, I don't, I mean, they make commercials on them you know, during this time to try to get you to like your taxes a little bit or at least inspire you to choose their company. Nobody likes taxes, but back then in this culture, people hated it even worse because the tax collectors were dirty and cheating and they worked for the enemy. So the Jewish people were under Roman occupation and people that were tax collectors basically were sellouts. They were people that said, we will work for the people oppressing our own people. We'll work for them. We'll work for them, and we'll also take some on the side. So they're bad. If you don't like the IRS, th these people are way worse. They make the IRS look like Chuck E. Cheese or something you know, nice. 
If you work for the IRS, no offense, okay? <laughs> I'm sorry. I've said some things sometimes and people are like, hey, wait a minute. So we love you if you work for the IRS. These are bad people. So two went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, a religious guy. The other a tax collector, a bad guy. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. So he's saying, God, I thank you that I don't cheat on my wife. I thank you that I treat people fairly. I thank you, God, that I'm, that I'm not a traitor to my country and my people and I don't cheat people. I thank you that I follow all the rules, that I fast, that I honor you with my time, that I, that I honor you with my money. I thank you that I do that, God. Holy All right. I thank you that my computer always works. Okay? Then the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then that's the end of the story. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man, tax collector, went down to his house justified, that means okay in God's eyes, having good standing in God's eyes, declared righteous in God's eyes. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So let me tell you what this means. I'll just leave a a picture up here, a painting of of a man that did a painting of this story. Here's what it means. Christianity is for bad people. It's for bad people. I mean, it's, it's really the only thing in the world that as an organization, other than jail, exists for bad people. It's the only thing. It's the only thing that says this is for people that are bad. This is for people that are bad. So, I mean... Many people, if you're, if you're an atheist or if you're not a Christian, many people say, you can be good without God. And that is true. You can be good without God. Depending, I mean, depending on how you define goodness, you can be good. You can love your neighbor as yourself without God. You can treat people kindly without God. Atheists aren't around just outside raping people and murdering people. I mean, you can be a good person without God. Christianity is so different because it says this is for bad people. It says this is an organization, this is a community that's for bad people. It's for bad people. See, if you believe, isn't the point just be a good person? Do you, do you know how exclusive that actually is? Sometimes people criticize Christianity for exclusive, but if, if you believe, man, all good people get to God. All good people have access to God. All good people go to heaven. All good people. Isn't the point just live a good life? If that's what, that's really exclusive. Because there's a lot of people either based on their environment or their upbringing that don't quite live good lives. Or maybe they just have a cranky disposition. Or maybe they're just, I mean, all sorts of different things. If it's be a good person, 
And that's the point. That's actually incredibly exclusive. Christianity is the only thing, I'm telling you this, and it's scandalous, that says the bad people get in, not the good people. I mean, it's the only, I mean, think, I mean, that story, and Jesus told that to good people. He told that to like a church type group of people and said, if you've lived your whole life saying, I'm a good person, then you're going to get to heaven and God's going to say, you were too good. I'm sorry. What? That doesn't make any sense. I thought the point was be a good, no, you're not bad enough. I'm sorry. I mean, it's, it's part of why they killed Jesus is because he said things like this. The Pharisees, the religious leaders hated him because he went around telling stories like that, saying, you know what? You can live your whole life and be as best as you can, but if you think that that gets you to God, you're wrong. I mean, Christianity is the only thing that says the good people are out and the bad people are in. It doesn't make any sense. It's the only thing. It's the only, I'm, I'm, I swear to you, look it up. It's the only thing that says what Jesus just told in that parable. That says all the good people are out, all the bad people are in. I mean, what religion have you heard of that says the bad people are in and the good people are out? What religion teaches that? Jesus teaches that. Jesus says you cannot connect with God if you are good. That's what that story shows us. That this guy over here, standing before God and saying, I am good. Thank you, God, that I'm good. And he gives credit to God. God, thank you that I'm good. I mean, and aren't those good things? Wouldn't you want to hang out with, I mean, which guy do you want to hang out with? The guy that steals your money or the guy that never cheats on his wife is just, and he gives away money to people. And he fasts, which means he doesn't, he abstains from meals, so there's extra food for you. I mean, which guy do you want to hang out with? That guy, Right? And Jesus says, that's not the guy I hang out with. And that's what he actually lived his life. I mean, Jesus was criticized as a person. The, the religious people used this uh, like derogatory term against him. You're a friend of sinners. Christianity is the only thing that says the good people are out, the bad people are in. The good people can't connect with God, the bad people can it's the only thing. So, here's what that means. <laughs> For some of you, you should probably be offended. Because that's how you've lived your life, believing that. And for others of you, this may be a huge sigh of relief. I mean, if you were a tax collector hearing that story, what would you think? If you were a tax collector hearing Jesus tell that story and you were waiting for the punchline of, and then fire consumed the tax collector. And instead he says, this man went down to his home and God said, you're mine. And for some of you, this is a sigh of relief because man says, it's not how good you are. I mean, it's like this. If, if let's say you wanted to get in the NBA and then you try out and the NBA says, hey, the one qualification to get in is that you can't dunk and you don't know how to dribble, those are the people that get in the NBA. If you don't know how to play basketball, you're in. You'd be like, what? Or if you're dating, and they say the only people that get in are the people that Photoshop their profile pictures to look worse. You'd be like, what? 
You have to add 40 pounds to yourself. You have to, you know, take the worst selfie ever. Those are the people that get the dates. What? I mean, it flips the world upside down. This is why why Christianity is different. And this is why, I'm telling you, you should either despise Christianity. You should hate it. You shouldn't look at other religions and go, yeah, they're all good. You should look at Christianity and think it's twisted and sick. You should think it's wicked. You should think it's sickening. Or you should look at it and go, maybe this is something so different. Maybe, just maybe, it's divine. Maybe, just maybe, it actually is the only thing that can give hope. Maybe, just maybe, it's something so different that the human mind could ever conceive that it's not from humans. It says, those that know they're bad, get in. Those that think they're good, are out. here's why this is a beautiful thing. This is a beautiful thing because it is so inclusive. Man, it lets everybody in. It says anybody, any, I mean, if, if it's based on goodness, that only lets a certain people in. If it's based on your badness, we all qualify. And that should create then a community that is so inclusive. Because here's what that does. I mean, Maybe, maybe at some point in your life, you've gone to somebody and told them, I, man, I'm, I'm kind of messing up. I don't feel like I'm a good husband, or I don't feel like I'm a good wife, or I feel like I'm messing up at my job, or I'm not a good dad, or I'm not a good mom. or some, You've confessed some sort of your badness. I feel like I'm really selfish. I feel like this year I really want to work on my greediness. And if somebody came up to you and said, no, that's not true. You're not like that. You're smart, and you're beautiful, and you're talented, and you're the most generous person ever, and you're, man, you are a good dad, and you are a good mom, and you are, if somebody came and told you that, that can sound nice, but here's what it means. It means, I accept you because I'm denying that, and if you were like how you're actually saying, then I would be repulsed. See, if, if, if we accept people based on their goodness, then what we're saying is, if you're good, I'm with you. If you're bad, I mean, if you actually displayed and showed me what you're confessing, then no way. But in Christianity, it says, what gives you grounds to connect with God is your badness. It's your need. It's your, this guy saying, have mercy on me. Which should then create a community of grace and acceptance Because we all realize we're in the same boat. We all realize we have need. We all are people down on our knees instead of standing above one another. I mean, if that creates a community of people that are willing to accept anybody and love everybody. And that's the community that we all really long for, but we try to create it by being fake. But a community where we could actually be honest and yet still be accepted, that's what Christianity says it provides. But here's the thing. We want more than just people like us. We want more than just a bunch of people that say, I messed up. Yeah, I messed up. I Have mercy on me. I'm a tax collector. We want more than just that. We want someone that can actually deal with it. And this is where Jesus comes in. And when Jesus arrives on the scene, here's what's different about Jesus and other religious leaders. He didn't arrive on the scene and primarily say, I'm a teacher or I'm a prophet. He did teach things and he did speak things. 
from God, but he didn't primarily arrive on the scene and say, I am a teacher, I am a prophet. Because if our greatest need is we're uneducated, then we need a teacher. If our greatest need is that we're unenlightened and we don't know about God, then we need a prophet. But if our greatest need is we're bad and we're messed up, then we can't do anything about it and we need a savior. And that's what Jesus said he was. That's how Jesus is different from all other religious teachers. They all showed up and said, let me show you how to get to God. Let me show you what you need is more rules and more ways to follow God and more ways to connect with God. And you need new teaching that helps you. But Jesus showed up and said, not that, but I'm God come to you to save you. That's very, very different. It's a different solution. Jesus came as a savior, which means you're accepted because of his goodness, not because of yours. You're accepted because of his mercy, not because of your effort. You're accepted because of his grace, not because of your goodness and what you've done. That's a very different way of conceiving things. Jesus came as a savior. And so when Jesus came, he lived a life that we should all live. He lived a good life, which is the life that we're supposed to live, but don't. He lived the good life. And then he died on the cross, the death that we should die for centering our lives on other things. And says, instead of you living a good life, I live a good life for you. Instead of you dying a bad death, I die the bad death for you. And he becomes the substitute in our place. So here's why this is such good news. If, if you're not a Christian, what it means is you should come to Jesus, not primarily as a teacher or as your example, but you should come to him as this tax collector saying, have mercy on me. And if you're a Christian, here's what it means. It means that you are forgiven. You're forgiven for building your life on other things instead of God. I mean, this guy can get on his knees too. You know that? Like if, if, if you're a Christian and you've lived your life saying, I'm going to be a good person, I'm going to do the good things, and, and that's how I know that I have value and worth, and that's how I know God's pleased with me. And I, This guy could have gotten down on his knees too. And said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a Pharisee. God, have mercy on me. I think my goodness is what pleases you. Either person can get on their knees. And so if you're a Christian, God, forgive all of it. The typical stuff we think of as sin and the good stuff that we don't think of as sin, but that's still using to control our life. God forgives all of it. And here's also what it means for anybody. It means that you have acceptance without striving. There is no one else in your life that accepts you. Even as much as we tell people this, I'm just telling you the truth. There's no one in your life that accepts you for who you are. If who you are was as worse as it could be. And there's people that will accept you up to a point. But even if you have a spouse that says, I accept you no matter what. Well, that's not true. People get divorced all the time. I mean, even your kids. I mean, up to a point, yeah, and at that point, might, you might have a long wick on that stick of dynamite. But there reaches a point with anybody that you will not accept them based on what they do. Jesus is the only person in your life that says, my acceptance of you is not based on what you do. It's not based on your goodness. It's based on you seeing your badness and asking me for grace and mercy He's the one that accepts us without striving. 
So where's your identity built? What's your, if you're a Christian, especially, I'm talking to you, what's your identity built on? Is it, I mean, what, what's your worth and value? What's your ultimate joy in? What's your ultimate satisfaction in? What really holds the keys to your heart? Is it Jesus? If it's not, I invite you to that. And the good news is, it doesn't have to be those other things. Those other things let you down. Jesus doesn't. Jesus is the only person that if you put all of your trust and faith and identity in him, he won't let you down because you don't have to strive for it. It's already there. And when we take communion, that's exactly what we remember. We remember that Jesus gave to us his life so that we could have life. That he gave us his death so that we don't have to die for building our life on other things. And that he invites us into relationship with him. He invites us to have him at the center of our lives. And, that, and that's good. I mean, it's good. Because Jesus is the one that is saying, I accept you. I love you. The only condition is humility. The only condition is saying, I need you. The only condition is saying, I'm not good. And he then says, that's right, but I am. And brings us in and gives us acceptance. Jesus is the only one that will know you fully and still love you deeply. And he proved it on the cross. He proved that he loved us, the Bible says, even while we were sinners. And so then we will take communion if you're a Christian. And then we'll also give tithes and offerings. And if you're not a Christian, please don't give anything. I just want you to know Jesus. I want you to explore and, and get to know him and ask questions. But if you're a Christian, we give because we want to create a community in this city where more and more people can know Jesus. And you can give in one of the baskets up front. You can give online also. And then we'll sing songs. And we'll sing songs to worship Jesus for his grace and his goodness and his mercy for all of us tax collectors and for all of us Pharisees. God, thank you. Thank you that you are good to us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you give us grace. Thank you that you give us mercy. Thank you that, that you are so different from our minds could, than what our minds could ever conceive of. God, thank you that you are gracious to us. That though we have lived putting other things at the center of our life, you keep calling us back to you. That though we have lived with other things as our joy, you keep calling us back to you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. You're a good God. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.